This is The Art Life. Hello, I'm Zandra Robinson-Burns, writer and the founder of Heroin Training. And here with me today to introduce our interview is my co-host, actress and activist, Grace Gordon. Grace, who are we talking to today? Hi, Zandra. Today we are talking to one of my uh, best friends in LA and just in the world, um, Adam Fleischman, who's a, a restaurateur in in Los Angeles. And it's so funny, you know, you and I, I want to say we sat down to talk. We Skyped together a number of weeks ago um, when, when the coronavirus like lockdown started. And we were talking about how we've launched interviews. We want to start interviewing people. And of course, like, oh no, just as we started this, we can't see anyone. And uh, we decided that we wanted to set up some interviews with people whose work was like directly affected by this lockdown. We were talking about like, perf- like you know, people um, who are performers in theater uh, and you know, if you're if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you all should um, listen to Katie Hawthorne's interview about like live performers. <laughs> and we also talked about you know, oh, what about people who like own a performance space or own some sort of venue like that? You know, had to be shut down. And I realized as we were talking, I'm like, wait, duh, we need to interview Adam because Adam is a restaurateur and and. All of his friends own restaurants in LA and their lives have been radically changed the past few weeks, months, whatever it's been. I've lost track of time. So I realized that, you know, he's the perfect person to get into. And I also, you know, I, as someone who loves um, chefs and restaurant people, I really am so proud to highlight how uh people who work in food are artists. So that's, you know, yet another reason that I said, oh, perfect. I'm glad to have Adam as one of our first guests on the show. I believe my specific request during this brainstorm was I really want to talk to someone who works in food because I love restaurants and I really struggle with cooking at home, which is what we're all having to do right now and so I think what I secretly wanted was like some cooking tips and actually what this interview what this conversation gives instead was what I needed so I'll be mysterious for now let everyone enjoy the interview and then we'll come back at the end and discuss Yes, I can't wait for everyone to just absorb Adam's philosophies of life so let's get into it Welcome back to The Art Life. I am so excited because today I am here with one of my best friends in the world, restaurateur and brand builder, Adam Fleischman. Say hi, Adam. Hi, Grace. We met a couple of years ago through like a meditation community, but I was already a big fan of Adam's at the time because he founded one of my favorite restaurants in LA. So I was so excited to meet him and we've become very close since... You know, one of my favorite things about you is that you 
you are a restauranter and this is what you do now, but mm. you, you studied screenwriting, right? I mean, you worked in the film industry. I did, I did many moons ago and, you know, studying never ends. It's an ongoing thing for life. It is, but, and you still, I mean, you still write, you still collect art. And I, I wanted to just start by asking you why you chose food. Cause you, obviously you could have done so many different things and followed so many different creative ventures. Mm, well, that's a great question. You know, I, I think about that a lot. You know, art can be seen to some people as very ideational, very in your head, very distancing mm -hmm. to some people that don't, you know, that aren't, um, that don't have the means to get to that point where they can appreciate that kind of art, but everyone can appreciate a good drink or good food um, or good wine. So I wanted something that mixed my art background with um, some immediacy that every that was relatable to everybody. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure you've found in your time too that like these chefs, some of whom I've met with you, are the most committed, crazy, passionate artists that are out there. Yeah. They're, they're no different in terms of an artist as than a sculptor or a painter in the sense that they're, you know, they're willing to give everything up so that they can cook food for people and cook their food. And that's something that's really beautiful when they can pull that off. And, you know, a lot of us start in a very scrappy manner, you know, just cooking for friends, same, same with me and a lot of my friends. And then you go from that to making it a real career. It's kind of interesting, but it starts with just impressing your friends and uh, making good food at home. I talk on the show a lot about like my various dinner parties and parties that I'm doing. And I just have to say for people who've been listening to a long, for a long time, Adam is the king of the dinner party. He's the king. So, you know, it's, and it's, it's more than like have some friends over and fuck around. It's a, yeah. it's an art practice. Yeah. I mean, hospitality is really about, I mean, people lose sight of hospitality in certain restaurants where you go and you pay and you sit for half an hour and you leave. Whereas the real art of hospitality is like, you know, doing these all nighters where you just cook and cook and cook. And it's like a throwdown, and you have so many different wines and cocktails. And it just, it ends up being like an event where people just don't want to leave and people become very close and have great conversations. And that's where the art of food is for me. It's just that the dinner party is the perfect format for that because it's small enough where you can have six or eight or 10 people so everybody can get to know each other, but it's not just two people and it's not too big. And it's just, it's a perfect format to experiment. And, you know, dinner parties are great. Um, as long as you're open to whatever we serve you, we're happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no picky eaters allowed. <laughs> no, I don't even go out to dinner with picky eaters because it's just, it hurts my soul when, you know, a chef has spent his life creating this dish and someone's like, can I get the sauce on the side? Can I get it? Mm. You know, can I get this? Can I get that? Like, you know, because some people don't treat food as an art form and mm -hmm. they treat it as whatever. But I was involved early on in this restaurant called Red Medicine. We were one of the first restaurants in the country to be a completely no mods restaurant. So literally nobody. <gasps> I didn't know anything. that. Yeah. Yeah. And even the vegetarians that came in, we had a whole vegetable menu. None of it was vegetarian. So <laughs> it, it would be like. You know, Good luck. Brussels sprouts, Brussels sprouts with duck fat emulsion and things yeah. like that. And they wouldn't change it. And I thought that was so great. Well, they being my chef and, and me and my other partner, I thought that was great because they treated the food like art. And um, 
And since that restaurant has left us, the chef has opened another restaurant that is even more artsy. And it's probably the most artsy restaurant in America. Probably, definitely is for sure. But their food is just unrecognizable as food. Right. It's like it reminds me of these great filmmakers that I admire who refuse to, to bow to the demands of the studio or to the audience and make yeah. their vision. Yeah. It's like Final Cut. It's the same thing. It's like, um, you know, some chefs demand Final Cut, just like a director, and some yeah. are willing to do what the studio <laughs> wants. So what's, a, what's like your average day for Adam Fleischman? What's your daily life look like? You know, it's it's very unstructured. I tend to um, get up and and just see what I'm in the mood to do. But it always starts with some writing, whether it's emails or, or you know, I write on my phone via voice memo. So I'll write things and then I'll re rewrite them into a file that I'm keeping that's miles long. Of, I forgot of, this about you. Yeah. You have this collection of voice memos of all of your ideas, right? Yeah, well, they're all written down too now because when I, when I write them, I, that's when I can re-edit it and revisit and say, was this a good idea or was this a bad idea? I usually, um, at the beginning, when I started this file maybe 10 years ago, there were a lot of bad ideas and I would just delete them. But now, <laughs> now they're very good because, you know, I know what. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I write a lot about... Um, Science, philosophy, art history, and and literature, um, mainly Shakespeare, and, um, and those are the topics that you know keep me in the art world and that type of thing. Though, you know, I'm I'm much very much of a classical uh, scholar in that sense. So my co-host and I met technically through a, a literature themed conference, and that was actually one of the things that I wanted to ask you was. You know, you're such a well-read person, especially in the classics. And I'm wondering, like, how how your your love of literature has informed your craft and informed your businesses. Right. Well, that's a great question because I always tell people, people are like, oh, what you do in college? I do liberal arts. Oh, great. So you basically, you know, prepared for unemployment and you're doing <laughs> something else. But, but there's a sense that when you have a degree in liberal arts, um, as I do... Anything you do is going to be more informed because you're going to have a historical context, you're going to have a, a literary context, you're going to have a visual context. And being well-rounded can only help whatever you choose to do. I mean, obviously, if you're an actor or, you know, that's why actors do Shakespeare because it informs whatever you're doing, whether it's, you know, something that's brand new. And um, by doing, you know, I did uh, almost 10 years of liberal arts college. Um, because I wanted as much as I could get. And I feel like that informs your decisions when it comes to making food, making drinks, um, whatever you do, because it gives you more confidence and, and perspective. So when and how can we do a Frankenstein-themed dinner? When does our, our, our classic literature dinner series begin? Because that's what I'm interested in. Yeah. <laughs> Frankenstein, I don't know how much he ate. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he so. Kinda, I don't think he ate at all. No. Maybe like, but yeah, Frankenstein is, is one of the great... The novel by Mary Shelley is, is one of the great works for me. And there's, there, I dropped I, that reference because I read it because of you. Yeah, and it's just... It's everything. It's art. It's life. It's how they mix. And the most beautiful part of that book is that he creates this monster, and the monster has a rule of its own, and he's shocked that... You know, it's, the monster doesn't listen to him and does what it wants, but that's what art is. Like when you create 
uh, a novel or a painting, it has a life of its own. Well, and that's what parenting is. Yeah. I, I told my dad had never read Frankenstein and now we're obsessed with oh, it cool. together because I sent yeah. it to him and I yeah, said, look, this is a book about parenting. It is because you create the child. So you, in one way you feel like you, it's part of you. And you own it. But it, you own it. <laughs> you but on don't. the other hand, it has its own will. And then you're shocked. It's exactly like parenting. Exactly. Because the child has its own will and you can inform that will, but you certainly can't control it. And a lot of times the child will do exactly the opposite of what the parent does, <laughs> which, is, which is Frankenstein. Yeah. So one thing I've never asked you before, which I'm, I've always been very curious about because you're a very well-traveled person, is why you decided to settle in LA. You know, it wasn't intentional. I, um, I grew up in Maryland and then I lived in Washington, D.C. for six years, which I loved. Um, you know, with the research opportunities there and Library of Congress, Smithsonian, blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, being from that area, I, I felt like I had seen it all there and I was ready for a bigger city. And I wasn't interested in moving to New York just because of the weather issues. So my mm. sister had lived in L.A. And I came out to visit her expecting to hate it and ended up really liking it. And from a, from a living perspective, I feel like there's a lot of creative people. I think, I think the people are what make it for me here, like, my friends are here. The people are great. It's a, it's a different vibe. It's not a vibe where it's about, you know, clawing your way to the top at the expense of everyone else like D.C. is with the government yeah. and, and power. You know, D.C. And, and New York are about power. Mm -hmm. I feel like here it's about expression and creativity. I mean, there's so many creative people in, in, in L.A. in all fields. Mm -hmm. Tech and the great artists, of course, that came from here. And... Um, it, you know, I was seduced by the creativity of it and uh, and bit the bullet and, and stayed. Yeah, I totally agree. And I mean, it's like people people have this idea of what L.A. is like because of Hollywood, but really it's like the most ethnically diverse city in the world. Never seen more ethnic. And, and I'm from D.C., which is 90% African-American and the other 10% is all it. You know, politicians. And, yeah, no, the politicians <laughs> don't live in D.C. They all live in the suburbs, like Virginia, which is white. But it's so ethnically diverse, but L.A. does beat it in terms of, you know, we have, I think we have over 100 in different cultures here of restaurants, like different mm. um, ethnic type of restaurants that you never see anywhere. People don't really think of L.A. as a food city, but then it is some of the best food I've ever had. Yeah, they here. do now. They do now. Um, about 10 years ago when I started my restaurants, I was lucky enough to, have, to be timed right and and now people think of it as a food city and so many people are coming here from other countries and, uh, and, and respecting it. And the reason that why I feel like it's been slighted is because what we do great are, are not the great French and Italian cuisines, That's but the true, Thai true. and the Korean and the Chinese and the Mexican. But we do those the best and, and we've given those cuisines, I mean, we've done the impossible. We've given those cuisines equal parity with things like France, France and Italy, mm. which is amazing. So this is a good time to bring up, we are recording this episode during the coronavirus lockdown, like global pandemic, and you and I were actually, we were out at dinner a couple of nights before the city went into quarantine, yeah. and we went to one of the best restaurants in the city with Babel, right? Yeah, one of the best restaurants in America. It, and it, we had this beautiful dinner, and I remember we the owner came over and we're, we're talking about the impending crisis that we, you know, we know is coming, but hasn't fully sunk in yet. 
And the first thing he said was he just wants to pay his staff. He's like, no matter what, I just want to be able to pay my staff. Now, obviously, things have gotten a lot worse since then. Yeah. And I wanted in part to have you on the show now because I wanted to talk a little bit about all of your restaurateur friends, how it's affecting their businesses and just what people can do. Mm-hmm. To help as to to help as best as they can, whether it's during quarantine or afterwards, help with the fallout. Mm-hmm. No, I mean it's been really hard. I think a lot of restaurants will not survive this, and you don't know this, but where it came in the year was a really bad timing too, because most people, you know, who were not doing well, they last through Christmas and the holidays, and then they decide to sell in January. So I was already looking at stuff that was you know, people were going out of business in January and February. And then lo and behold, this hits at the same time. So there'll be a major shakeout. Um, The restaurants like Bavel that we went to that have these great followings. um, You know, I think at first they were in shock because they realized we can't do, we can't feed people and that's all we do. But then, you know, a lot of them pivoted and said, well, we, people still have to eat. So we'll send food to their house. Even if that's not the food we normally do, people understand that we're changing our food for this virus. And they've done that. But, um, you know, it's, it's, been, it's been super hard and it'll, there'll be a big reset mm-hmm. um, on restaurants. It'll be a really tough time, but, but the good ones will survive. Is there any silver lining to that, to a reset? Yeah, I think there is. Because in a lot of ways, there were a lot of people who, in, in L.A., people come and they, and, you know, they make money from movies or whatever. And they say, oh, I want to open a restaurant. I think I know about food, blah, blah, blah. And they, <laughs> and they open one and they really shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> they have more money than taste. Let's and, get petty. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it, it'll... They have it'll more s- money than taste. Yeah, That's a very absolutely. L.A. thing as well. Yeah. It'll separate the real hardcore restaurant people from, from the people that are dabbling. Yeah. So that is the solo line, I think. And it'll, it'll, you know, we talk about essential businesses and it'll, it'll show which restaurants are actually essential. Have you seen any interesting innovation? Yes, a lot. I mean, there is, there is all kinds of innovation happening, you know, on the, on the delivery side and on, you know, a lot of people to keep their staffs, you know, made all of their cooks and managers delivery people and they cook and they deliver the food. And I thought that was really great idea because it keeps them working yeah so where there's a will there's a way um you know people still want to order good food um please tell the story of your friend who has been delivering the sandwiches she was on jimmy kimmel recently oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i need you to tell the story yeah i mean that's just an example of you know of getting creative and and so there's this quarantine in effect. You're not supposed to go near people. <laughs> and she decided, you know, she wasn't even in the restaurant business, but she decided now's a good time when all the restaurants are closed. I'm going to make this breakfast sandwich that I do really well with avocado and bacon. And it and looks amazing. That. Yeah, it's good. And then she makes it in her in her apartment or loft, which is like on the third or fourth floor, and they have fire escapes there. And she then she lowers it down in a bucket to people that come and – and grab it out of the bucket <laughs> and and like I don't know if they give her ten dollars on in the bucket or whatever. But the funny thing is is that you think like that's the most desperate, like you're 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 trying to get customers. 
but apparently she's so busy that she has to like give people time slots. Yeah. Like that's how they like people are just like, oh, this is great. And uh, well, people love good ideas. Yeah. People love quirky ideas like that. Yeah. So they're and ready to support it. They'll, they totally support it. And there'll be lines, which is, you know, antithetical to the quarantine. So she <laughs> gives you a five minute time slot. She's like, be here at 1255 and someone else is coming at one and their bucket's coming down. So, <laughs> you know, it's, um, that type of creative thinking is what the restaurant business excels at, like figuring out how to make to like a lot of restaurants now, like don't have the capacity for the amount of people they're serving and they just, they figure out ideas like that. And it's, it's fun to see that. Okay. So zooming out from quarantine, focusing back on, on happier and more optimistic times, uh, you're a very well-traveled person. Yes. And, and I just, you know, I'm curious about how that's informed your art, your art life, um, and just how you lead your businesses. Hmm. I mean, travel to me is is the most important thing you can do after that liberal arts education because liberal the liberal arts education is the foundation, and the travel is to see that there are other perspectives and cultures beyond the American. You know, America is so insular. You know, if you grew up in Denmark, you're already speaking five different languages and you've been to Sweden, you've been, you know, it's much more easy to get around. We're this giant country. And when I was 21, my parents sent me to Europe after I graduated from college, 22 actually. And I went there. I had never eaten a vegetable in my life. I've I was the most boring eater what? in the world. What? What? And I spent three months in Europe and I came back and I literally ate everything. I ate snails, I ate foie gras, and I was obsessed with wine because we'd gone to, to Burgundy. And one trip literally changed everything. And after after that and seeing all those countries, I was I was food and wine obsessed and, and it hasn't changed since then. So that's how important, you know, traveling is and getting around and seeing a, a variety of places from rich to poor to Europe to South America, mm. Central America. You know, I've been pretty much everywhere I want to go at this point, um, and I tend to keep going back to those places that I really like. Yeah. But um, travel is huge. Well, you and I, I mean, we have a constant message thread going where we're sending each other, I mean, whether it's funny memes or art or a lot of travel links. Yeah. Like you sent me that thing about this 27-year-old who has just yeah. traveled to every country in the world, yeah. which is a wonderful article. Actually, I'll link to it in the show notes. Great article. It's yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. He um, had the right perspective about it too, which is like, he wasn't just trying to check off boxes. He was really trying to understand why there are so many countries. I think there's like 180 or 190 countries. Like 190. A lot. Yeah. And when you look at how many you've been to, it's like humbling. You're like, wow. Like, <laughs> you know, most people haven't been to more than 30. Yeah. But, um, um, you know, travel is, it's ultra, ultra important. And, you know, there's certain types of travel, you know, the cruise and tour travel that I, that I'm against because, you're really just seeing a mirror of your house when you mm. go there and, and you're seeing the same people that you, that you know, and you're seeing Americans, you know, go to a place, you know, it, it's okay to book a hotel and have some ideas about meals, but kind of explore it and, and walk around and try and crash a couple, you know, things that you weren't invited to, to really get a great experience of travel. 
because people in other countries are much friendlier than Americans. They'll like invite you in and mm. feed you. And, yeah, that was my favorite thing about Morocco was it's yeah. like this culture of hospitality yeah. that I I just want to go back to that. And yeah. I want to be the kind of the kind of host that makes people feel the way that people made yeah, me feel I mean, as a guest. Exactly. I mean that's why I do these these events and I cook all the time because it's hospitality is is about the attitude of being a host yeah, and a hosting. And um, these countries tend to do it much better than America where it's very, people are very nervous about strangers for good reason. A lot of times, mm. you know, there's, there's weird stuff, but um, <laughs> in other countries they tend, you know, if you, if you're recommended by someone, they generally uh, will take you in and show you the real, the real deal of that, of that city and country. Well, all of what you're saying clearly exhibits that you are someone who very much lives the art life, um, <laughs> you know, rather than, than I make this one piece of art and then I go home and I live my life. It's, yeah. it's I, you know, it feels to me like you don't really have a, a line between what is no, work and what no, is life. No, I mean, one night you sleep in a palace, the next night you sleep under a tree. Like, that's the artist's life. Yeah. In a nutshell, it's like you have to be happy with both. Mm -hmm. um, Do you feel like you have to have, like, hard boundaries between your work hours and your home life? Or I don't. This, no. I don't. I don't even have a home life. I just have work hours. <laughs> it's all work hours. Yeah. Is, and do you want boundaries? Or is that no, that's what makes no. you happy? No, because my friends at this point are people that are like-minded, um, like yourself and my, my bar people that are, you know, they're in the industry we're in anyway, so if we're together, there doesn't need to be a boundary because mm -hmm. we're into the same things and we're, you know, talking shop, as it were. Mm -hmm. So, no, I mean, you don't need boundaries. I mean, I guess it's important for some people. It's never really been for me. Well, that brings me to my my next question. I am someone who has a, a lot of difficulty with social media. I have a complicated relationship with social media, even as someone who, you know, makes most of my income from sure. from online businesses um and i'm wondering just what your what your relationship to social media is and how it affects your work being a brand builder and a restaurateur uh well i mean if you're doing a business if you're doing your art as a business like i am mm -hmm. it's essential to have social media and to reach out to people um if only to just show them you're out there yeah and to to have a presence um it's imperative um, you know, it's a relatively new thing. When I started in restaurants, there was no social media. Um, there were just food critics and they're the ones who kind of helped me build my career. But, you know, it's changed and it's democratized in the sense that anyone can post something. But that's a good thing in a way, because mm -hmm. if a lot of people are posting pictures of your food, then you're probably onto something. Yeah. So it's important from a viral perspective. It's not I, I don't ever want to be someone who forces it and is like bombarding people with social media. I want it to be more uh, homegrown and, and people doing it on their own, and, you know, talking about you rather than you trying to get talked about. Mm -hmm. um, when everyone in town is talking about your bucket drop sandwich, then that's, <laughs> that's social media, but it's not a controlled uh, campaign that anyone tried to try yeah. to force. It's just like, this is what, this is what people are talking about. That's that's that I think is a good thing because it 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 uh, uh, it it spreads information so much quicker than you could by writing an article in a in a newspaper. 
It's mm. instantaneous. And you use it as a connection tool quite a lot, right? Yeah. You reach out to, to a chef. Yeah. I use it to talk to chefs, to get recipe info from them. People hit me up for recipes. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's a great tool to learn how to cook or do wine or do cocktails. It's, it's a great information sharing platform mm. for that. So I use it for that a lot. And, uh, you know, it's great for when you go to a new city to find people to hang out with that are locals, mm. that, you know, or people that you know their taste is good. You've already seen their, their work and, you know, you put yourself out there and people, people write me and they're like, wow, your food looks so cool. I love that. And, you know, that's, that's a great, that's a great feeling. Yeah. Well, speaking of good taste, my last question is, since all of our listeners are generally huge book and film nerds, yeah. what have been like the influential books and films on your life? God, I mean, there's Or meals. So <laughs> you many. can drop oh. a restaurant name if you want, whatever you want. meals are endless. <laughs> I mean, a lot of the restaurants are really exclusive and really not worth talking about. I mean, they're just yeah. very... Very not accessible. <laughs> not, not only are they not accessible, but, um, you know, there's a story like, you know, if you pour someone the greatest wine that costs 20 grand, they may not appreciate it because they haven't really worked their way up to that level yet. And I guess it's the same with books, too. I mean, you start, you start reading, you know, Catcher in the Rye and To Kill a Mockingbird, and, and eventually you're reading Frankenstein or mm -hmm. Goethe or Shakespeare, so... Um, you know, I, I'm versed in all the books and films that are out there. Um, I like the classical sort of canon that mm -hmm. people have agreed on is are the great things, you know, the Citizen Kane's of the world. Um, you know, I like independent film mostly. Um, you know, I love like, you know, Dave Village, the Coen brothers and, um, Paul Thomas Anderson and all that type of stuff. People are, that are just pushing the the grounds, you know, the boundaries cinematically. Mm -hmm. If someone can push something cinematically, I'm usually into it. With literature, I tend to be more classic and, you know, reading the, the, the classics like Jane Austen and Dickens and that type of stuff. I feel like that stuff's really great. And I think the novel is sort of a stagnant form that hasn't really, in poetry, that hasn't really done much in the last, you know, 50 years. So it's just kind of stagnated. Um, you know, the post-war writing was so strong up through the 60s and then it just kind of petered out when TV and, and uh, the internet kind of came up and took a lot of attention away from mm -hmm. from that type of writing and now a lot of it has gone online. Um, same with movies, you know, they've become very commercial driven so it's, there, okay. isn't, there isn't that much that I love but in the food world there's tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of stuff so. Well please drop the name of your book. Oh, my food. My yeah, cookbook. Your cookbook. It's called Flavor Bombs: Cooking with the Art and Science of Umami. It's a book on the flavor of umami and how to use that in your uh, in your home cooking. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so what is the art life? The art life, um, to me, is uh, you know a lot of people have like day jobs and careers, and they're like. I'll reserve 10% of this, of my time for my hobbies and things that I do. And I think the art life um, uses 100% of it and says, mm -hmm. forget the 90%. I'm, I can't, this 10% to me means more than the other 90 and I'll just devote everything. And once you devote everything to the art life, 
and it's and there's no lifeline, that's that's when you're living that life. That was perfect. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. Well, we will drop Adam's uh, social media and cookbook links in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, let him know. Thank you so much. Bye. <laughs> So Grace, what is the art life? The art life is feeding your community. Mm. You, oh, it is. It is. And in you know, whatever your medium is creatively, that's what you're doing. And I and that's what Adam does in more than just food. You know, that's what he does in the way that he talks about life. Um and and his writing as well so he he just reminded me that that's also what i want to do that's a kind of artist that i want to be i want to be someone who nourishes my people and you do and i now have some context as to one of your influences in that area with your dinner parties and beyond oh absolutely zandra what is the art life Food is the art life. Ooh, we got a structure change. (laughs) Yeah. Well, a word that we use often on this show has come up again here for me, and that's integration. And as I mentioned at the start, food is something that I, I don't struggle to enjoy, but I struggle to enjoy creating. And just the way that Adam talks about food as a part of his life really clicked for me. And I was so not expecting to hear him praise his liberal arts education and classic literature in this conversation, but it was exactly the entry point that I needed because I I have a literature degree. That's my background and my passion as well. So I was so excited to hear some of my favorite authors come up in this discussion about restaurants. Yeah, um, Adam is someone who wholeheartedly lives the art life. You know, he's he's not uh, making his work and then separating it and going home and doing something else. You know, everything he does is art. His whole life is art. And that's why I thought he was the perfect guest for the show. Um, but I was I was really excited for you when he brings up Jane Austen. I was like, can't wait for Sandra to hear this. <laughs> Big Jane Austen fan. I have written a companion to all six of Jane Austen's novels called Letters from Jane Austen. So if you want to take Adam's advice and read the classics, I can help you do that. And you just released that for patrons, right? I did, yeah. So I wrote this program a few years ago and have recently rebooted it and brought it back with fresh letters. And um, so it's very timely for me as well to to feel valid in my work, helping people uh, enjoy classic literature, either for the first time or to revisit it with a friend. I also wanted to weigh in as a vegetarian 
on this conversation because I really loved your discussion about picky eating and not catering to dietary requirements. I really appreciate when I ring up a restaurant and I explain my dilemma of choosing to eat vegetarian and my stomach choosing to be lactose intolerant and I really like when they're upfront with me and say, like, you're not going to get the full experience here because that's so much better than showing up and getting like a chicken salad without the chicken. It's just lettuce. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm there for the art. I'm there for the, the full experience. And I really appreciate when artists can be free to work in the way that they do and the, the way that they're called to. And fortunately, there are enough fantastic vegan restaurants that also don't cater to meat eaters. Absolutely. That I can enjoy their craft too. So I love when people are focused. And um, so I wanted to... Yeah, and it was so dignified. Yeah. To, you know, and it it was very dignified, and it it also was a a great reminder for me and for people listening that like chefs are artists. You know, people who work in restaurants are artists, and um, you know, they're not just like there at your beck and call to handle, like, hand you whatever. Um insane list of demands you have like these are people who really care about their work and are making something beautiful with their heart and imagination and I just really appreciated that because you're right like there are gluten-free restaurants there are vegan restaurants like there are places that you can go to have whatever catered like specially catered experience you need to have um if that's a if that's important to you or if that's something you need like that exists and um, I just really appreciated that he brought all of that up and reminded us that like chefs are making a, a piece of art and experience for you. So you, you don't like like you don't walk into an art museum and say like, well, I only want to see a quarter of this painting because I only like a quarter of it. Like I don't go to a movie and, you know, like only want to see the the final act. So why do we go to restaurants and demand that we only have the rigid experience that we've decided ahead of time that we want to have. I think there's a different art to catering different needs. And, you know, somebody who's catering a school is going to need the art of all of the uh, different allergies and dietary requirements that um, everyone going to the school with no other option um, will need. But if that's different from every restaurant and every restaurant has their specialties. So um, I just, I liked that distinction. Yeah. And I mean, I right. I want to say like food allergies are real. Food preferences are like a hundred percent up to you guys. Like, you know, this isn't a judgment thing. I'm gluten-free and it's a real allergy. And I like, cannot touch the stuff so you know adam he does accommodate to me 
when we eat together. Oh, good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because he <laughs> loves me and, you know, doesn't want me to get ill. Um, and like, I, you know, a great example of a restaurant that's gluten-free is this bakery called Aaron McKenna's uh, Bakery, which does all gluten-free desserts. And um, they are opening a lunch, uh, a lunch menu, and I believe a dinner menu as well in LA. And um, unfortunately, they had to postpone this because of the lockdowns but they had invited me over like instagram they said hey we're doing a little tasting menu like we want to invite some influencers to come to like our tasting menu for our new menu our new meals like do you want to you know come to this and i'm like of course but there's an example of like that that bakery that's expanding their menu reached out to me because i had posted about them online before and they i guess whoever runs their social media kept kept note and then you know, I'm their audience. I'm their target audience. And, and they're my target bakery because they are providing yeah. the exact food that I can eat. <laughs> Fantastic. I love that. I was also really excited to hear about L.A. as a city that is primarily creative and to hear more about Adam's choice to live there. And uh, that was just really exciting to hear about another example of how food is is integrating into the arts and into an art space. So when we when I can, I'd love to come visit. I can't wait. I I can't wait for you to be here someday soon. And I can't wait to have another dinner party with Adam, you know, when it's safe for us to all gather again. Um this just made me even more excited to host dinner parties and cook for my friends. Yeah, well, thank you so much to Adam for coming on the show and sharing his perspective. And to everyone listening, thank you for joining us. Let us know who we should interview next on this show. One of my uh, new bucket list goals for the art life is to find a poet who is breaking boundaries that will impress even Adam. (laughs) So if you know any poets... (laughs) Oh, I've got some ideas, actually. I've got some good (laughs) ideas. (laughs) Stay tuned. (laughs) Well, until then. From my side of the world, good morning. And from my side of the world, good night. Bye. Bye. This is The Art Life, a heroin training podcast with Grace Gordon and me, Zandra Robinson Burns. You can find us online at theartlife.show and send letters to The Art Life, care of Grace Gordon, P.O. Box number 4292, Valley Village, California, 91607, or email us, theartlife at heroinetraining.com. Our theme music is The Stream by Rory. Thank you for joining us.